No, you. Remind me to say that at the end. Well, good morning. It is so good to welcome you as we gather this morning as God's people here at Central Baptist Church. We are so thankful for each of you and for your presence here. And uh, if you would like, we have friendship pads. That's a way to learn people's names. And you can pass those and get to know folks later in the service. But we are glad you are here with us today. And there's a few special guests we have. Uh, Teresa's mom is moved to the Lafayette. Uh, one of many, I think, now that are at the Lafayette, including my own mother. But welcome to Lexington. I'm glad that you are here. And then behind the Foxes, you might notice a few other new faces. Um, and these are uh, high school students looking for extra credit. Um, but really are here to celebrate their teacher, Jody Cabell's birthday. Uh, almost a St. Patrick's baby. But, um, but I tell you, if you don't think she's a good teacher, try to get, what, 25 teenagers up on a Sunday morning to come to church? I'm not sure what you threaten them with. But if you are a parent and you want some coaching, there may be a person right there. I think you're going to feed them afterwards. Is that an open invitation to everyone in the church? <laughs> Welcome. So glad to have all of you here as well. Um, and obviously, I'm not Charles Conkin, who was supposed to do the welcome today. Uh, as all of you know, Charles and Michelle welcomed new baby Edith into their home just a couple of weeks ago. But Jonas, the middle child now, had strep throat, and he's passed that on up the line to Charles. So Charles is struggling with strep throat and decided to keep his germs at his house which I'm more than happy with. And sickness is also going around in the Ohio Valley. Thank you, you're right on cue there, Claudia. Um, in fact, my own mother, many have asked, has been in the hospital this week, was discharged yesterday, and is recovering and gaining her strength. Um, but as she was in the hospital room uh, on Tuesday morning, early, uh, one of her main doctors came in um, uh, a gastroenterologist came into the room. And it just happened to be Jamil Faruqi, who is a friend of mine that I've been friends with in interfaith work for, oh, I guess over 12 years or so. Some of you know Dr. Faruqi. Um, and it was just wonderful to see him come into that room to care for my mother. And it reminded me that we are all a part of communities of concern and inclusion and care. That certainly this is one of those communities. And I will speak a little bit more about our love and concern and support for the Muslim community, especially in the events of recent days. But this is the point for us maybe to consider. I don't think it's possible for us to say we truly trust God if we do not attempt and work on trusting our neighbor that it's impossible for us to express a love for God unless it is also filled with a love for our neighbor. And if you're having issues with your neighbor in any capacity, I would invite you to a time of worship that you may find the presence of grace through God's love for you and that you may remember by trusting, by living fully and lovingly in the world, you will enrich your life and you will find yourself in unexpected places with a community that you may not so quickly own beforehand. And so we are about serious business this morning to allow our hearts, our inner person, to be transformed by trust and love and goodness and light. May you think about those things as we worship God today. Welcome to worship at Central Baptist Church.
call to worship. <clears throat> Wait for the Lord, be strong. The promises of with God as our light, what is there to fear? Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. invocation for St. Patrick's Day. I have the prayer of St. Patrick and then I'm going to follow up for a few moments of your own individual prayer with a uh, simple Irish blessing. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. May God give you, for every storm, a rainbow, for every tear, a smile, for every care, a promise, and a blessing in each trial, for every problem life sends, a faithful friend to share, for every sigh, a sweet song, and an answer for each prayer.
Good morning. Our reading of Christian Witness this morning is uh, taken from Philippians chapters 3 and 4. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks be to God. The, uh, last week we began in, uh, in our season of Lent uh, a practice that we uh, do often in early worship uh, where we take a few moments to read a call to prayer together, then have some time for a quiet reflection, uh, whether you want to stay in your seat and focus on your breath, whether you want to offer uh, your prayers silently to God, or whether you want to come forward and to light a candle at one of the tables on either side of the sanctuary. Uh, to let that symbolize your prayer to God. Um, you're invited to do that at this time uh, after we read our call to prayer, and then I'll play quietly for a few moments, and then we'll sing uh, the song of response that you'll find uh, printed in your orders of worship uh, after that. As we pray this morning together, we remember that the house that we speak of that is God's house is not this place, but it is the world, the whole world and uh, all those who are in it. So this morning, as we remember the tragedies all over the world uh, around us, especially in New Zealand, we uh, pray for those in those places who are struggling with great loss and tragedy. Read responsibly with me, please, our call to prayer. When trouble loiters on the hillsides, I remember. cupboards are empty, I remember. When proud eyes write me off, I remember. Though my very own forget my name, I remember. When hate stings like arrows. When the night gathers its shadows, your house is filled with love. Your house is filled with peace. Your house is filled with hope. Lord, hear our prayer.
invite you now to sing with me our song of response. I'll sing it for you once, and then we can sing it together. This is your house, O Lord. I will live in peace. This is your house, O Abba's not feeling well and had to leave us. Um, we'll hope that he's just having a little bout of the stomach something. But that leaves us in the enviable position of doing hymns a cappella, which some of you come from traditions where that happens. And for those of you who do not, the responsibility is now upon you. <laughs> you can't rely on him and not just them. You're going to have to sing. So please stand as we sing. 833. Oh, love. Here we
you so much. Let's pray again, please. Dear God, though many of us are running pretty hard and pretty fast and pretty far because we are not sure that we are worthy of your love, and yet it turns out that we are, and that your love follows us and stays with us and goes with us through whatever it is that we go through, and though we have not earned it and though we do not in some ways perhaps deserve it, apparently we're worthy of it, and for that we are deeply grateful this morning. Dear God, I pray that we will drink deeply from the cup of love that you have given us and offer freely the cup of love to those who need to know just how much they are loved. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. As you are able, I invite you to stand with me for the hearing of our gospel lesson found this day in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke as we begin reading in the 31st verse. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, meaning Jesus, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. So your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name 
of the Lord. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. So Friday afternoon, I attended a Jamaah. Jamaah is the Friday afternoon prayers of the Muslim community, where they gather once a week like we do for worship, and they offer their sincere prayers to God. I was there with 20 or so other interfaith leaders from Lexington. Our bishop from the Diocese of Lexington was in attendance, as well as the bishop from the Episcopal Diocese. Both rabbis from the two different Jewish congregations were present, and a few other pastors and other community leaders, many faculty from Transylvania University, and some of their students also gathered at the mosque on the north side of town. Of course, we were there to show our support and our concern and our own prayers for their community now reeling with what is yet another violent attack. And we learned on Friday, on the other side of the world, in Christ Church, New Zealand, a diabolical and bloodletting plot killed now 50 people in two different mosques. It breaks our heart that people would come into a place of worship to spew and effectively, violently, horrifically speak their destruction. I saw there a friend of mine, Rabbi Smockland, who is at OFA Synagogue, and we fell into conversation after the service was over. The last time I saw Rabbi Smockland is when we were together again as the interfaith community at the service in light of the other shooting in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue. He said to me what we would normally say on that occasion. We've got to stop meeting like this. And how true that is. But also, I replied, but wouldn't it be a far greater tragedy in light of what has happened if we did not? Are we willing to meet together in a testimony of common suffering and heartache. What we are dealing with is a madness. A madness of racial and religious prejudice and superiority. It's always been a part of the world's history, but is recently growing and has become emboldened to emerge out of the shadows. Why? Why are we seeing these things more and more frequently? I count three causes. Number one, hatred and prejudice that is being fueled by the dark side of social media. Secondly, the proliferation of weapons of war readily available to the average citizen regardless of their mental soundness or previous record of a violent personal history. And thirdly, because of leaders of government at all levels, local, state, and federal, who wink or nod or flat out discount the rise of such monstrous, sickening, and evil events, claiming, you know, they're really not such a big deal, or these threats of violence, and who might actually 
identify with these sentiments and offer no eagerness to stand up against them. So, we must strive for a different way. And remember that the only way to combat such wickedness is through great love expressed in caring communities. What we cannot do to meet this challenge is to be silent or to just kind of hope it goes away or hide in our isolation. We must step forward in a persistent duty of love. The times demand such a response. So notice in our text that Jesus is warned not to go to Jerusalem. Now we don't know exactly who these particular Pharisees are that warned Jesus or what their motivations might be by trying to convince him not to be on this mission to go to that capital city. Were they reasonably concerned about Jesus' well-being? Or did they mean their words as a kind of threat? You better not go to Jerusalem because you will get in great trouble. Were they an advance party trying to silence Jesus before he made too much noise? Particularly there in that city and the challenge that Jesus will bring in what is a message that is world-changing, evil-confronting, socially disturbing, and politically threatening. Jesus' message is simple, that there is forgiveness from God for everyone, all in humanity, and that we are to invite people into fellowship with one another. That's the radicality of it. That's how simple this message is that was lived so authentically by Jesus that caused him to get into so much trouble. For he was not willing to give a message of forgiveness and inclusion just as lip service, but he would actually practice that with the people who gathered around him to hear what he had to say. And that liberality was too threatening to be allowed to be spoken unchallenged. So was this attempt of convincing Jesus not to go to Jerusalem a means of silencing him? Were people concerned more with protecting their own power and maintaining the status quo than with Jesus' well-being? I suspect they may have been more afraid for themselves than for Jesus. Because living the life that Jesus invites us to participate in will turn over our prejudices and our ways of being as well. And so the Lord sees through their warnings and threats and sly deceptions. His mission will not be derailed, not by them, and not by the fear that they are trying to stoke. It's not going to do it. Yes, there may be violence that will come to me because of a message of vulnerability with love. But I am willing to take that step because this message is so vitally important. When I hear in Philippians... That there are folks who are enemies of the cross. I wonder if part of what that means is an unwillingness to recognize the vulnerability that's always with the act of love. For some people want to use love as a way of overburdening someone with their control and their power. And many have used the cross not as a sign of humility but as a sign of conquering others, 
judging others, smacking others down. And Jesus is willing to even die upon the cross. Seeing in his message a power that death itself cannot silence. That if he will live with authenticity and kindness and compassion in everything that he does, no matter what happens to him, his message will still succeed and advance. Now, we have been listening to Benet Brown, a researcher who many people have um, learned on the importance of vulnerability in relationships. And we have been reading alongside of these sermons her book entitled The Gift of Imperfection. And this week, we are looking at her description of authenticity over approval. Seeking authenticity more than trying to gain approval from others. And that this is a key factor on how we might live with more fulfillment in our lives. And this, I believe, intersects with Jesus because it gives insights into his teachings. That we confess Jesus as Savior, but we also must follow Jesus as Lord. And for Jesus to save us means that we will practice what he teaches. And Brown's insights help us see Jesus in a new way. Seeking authenticity over approval is a lens for us to enter back into Mark, Luke 13. But let's first listen to her description of authenticity. Authenticity, she says, is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embrace whom we are. Choosing authenticity means cultivating the courage to be imperfect, to set boundaries, and to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Exercising the compassion that comes from knowing that we are all made of strength and struggle, and nurturing the connection and sense of belonging that can only happen when we believe that we are enough. All of this, she says, is a choice. A choice that we make every single day on how we choose to live. And the goal, as she beautifully describes it, is that we may learn to love and to live wholeheartedly. To live and love wholeheartedly. Wouldn't you say that describes Jesus? And indicates some of the cravings that we also have in our own hearts, in our own hopes, to live and love wholeheartedly. So let's go back to Jesus and his teachings about today and tomorrow. Jesus understands that we spend the bulk of our time in the fabric of today and tomorrow. And living in the pressure of it. Now living for today does not mean we make some preparations for tomorrow. We are always hoping to make tomorrow better by virtue of some good decisions that we make now. And so there's always preparation in each day's planning and living. But living for today does not mean that we are living somewhere else. Ultimately, trust is for God and the great tomorrow on God's third day of completion. And we are not to be overly worried about tomorrow. Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. And we know what danger will meet him there. But he is still willing to heal and offer kindness to those who are around him along his journey. Yes, he will meet terrible danger in Jerusalem, and he is concerned about tomorrow, but not so much so that he cannot do the task of compassion that is before him 
in the now, in the day, in the moment. Let me say it another way. Most people spend the bulk of their time not living in the present, but living either in the past or in the future. That we cannot truly embrace what is here in front of us because we find ourselves somewhere else. And wouldn't you agree with me that both forward-looking and backward-looking preoccupations are often concerned about approval? That we didn't get it enough in the past or it didn't be presented to us in a way that we really needed sometime yesterday or we are seeking to achieve it and want it sometime in the future. Those who dwell upon the past are found beating themselves up over what they should have said or what they could have said or how this one thing that happened long ago can't be let go of and somehow is the source of all their problems and if just that thing back there hadn't occurred, then I would not be having these problems today. And they can be locked up in shame in a complex kind of imprisonment of their own unresolved hurts from a past where others have made them feel insecure, insecure and insignificant. They're always thinking about what has occurred to them in ways that make them feel diminished. And they're caught in the past. And those who dwell in the future are focused about constantly thinking of tomorrow. Will I be okay? What if something terrible happens tomorrow? What will I do? How will I be prepared for any challenge that is ahead? And how can I achieve and succeed and protect myself from that danger of being vulnerable? Both groups, whether you're locked in the past or locked in the future, are caught in a danger. The danger is losing the most abundant gift that is offered to us over and over and over again throughout our lives. It is the wonder and the power of the now, that present moment. We're given now every single second. And when we're always somewhere else, when we're always thinking somewhere else, and being occupied with somewhere else, then we are never able to fully, authentically live with fulfillment in this moment. It takes work, great work, to be authentically present and grateful in the now of our lives without always thinking about what, hap what has happened in the past or what's yet to happen in the future. Authenticity is lived in the moment. Let me give you another condition that keeps us from living authentically in the now. And I'm going to call this condition an addiction because I think it's best for us to start believing and thinking about this practice that many of us engage in very regularly as an addictive kind of attachment. I am referring to social media. Researchers are beginning to notice links between the rise of depression and suicide rates as related to social media particularly among teenagers and young adults. The numbers are staggering in what's being called a generational shift, according to a recent report from National Public Radio. So, maybe stepping on some toes about social media, but you cannot argue with the data, and here it is. They found that the rate of individuals reporting symptoms consistent with major depression over the past year increased 
52% and 63% in young adults over a decade. Girls are more vulnerable than boys. By 2017, one out of every five teenage girls had experienced major clinical depression in the last year. Rates of psychological distress, these thoughts that are described as being nervous, hopeless, and where everything in life is such an incredible and seemingly insurmountable effort, has risen by 71% among people aged 18 to 25. Suicidal thoughts and plans and attempts have also increased. Death from suicide has increased by 56% among 18 to 19 year olds between 2008 and 2017. Now there's probably a lot of reasons why people are feeling hopeless, depressed, and perhaps may not feel there's much left in life worth living. But wouldn't you also agree that artificial reality is artificial? That artificial community is artificial. That artificial connections are artificial. Now, social media may be a way to engage, keep up with news, kind of know what's going on, and maybe some use it appropriately to deepen their compassion for others and your world. If you're able to do that, then good for you. But for others, wouldn't you say that some things in social media are about posturing and bragging and exhibiting power and trying to spread lies about others. And we are still immature enough to believe that if something is popular, then somehow it also must be true. The irony of fake news is how it causes us to question all news. Massing itself as the purveyor of truth, it actually erodes trust in any truth at all. And when you have stopped trusting, you have lost the essential ingredient of any meaningful human interaction. In early service, I was talking about this part about social media, and someone said that there's a woman that they work with who... Um, is, is just a lovely, senior, white-haired woman. And she seems to be a kind person and a lovely person. And then people at work started reading her Facebook posts and profiles and comments. And they realized she is one of the most hateful, prejudicial, and difficult people they would never want to associate with. But somehow, when she's around others, she plays it nice. But when she's in the privacy, supposed, of Facebook, that's really, as we used to call it, airing your dirty laundry to the world, she shows her true colors. It should not have escaped your attention that Jesus has a deep desire to extend compassion to those who won't accept him. He loves Jerusalem. Though Jerusalem will betray him, and he will refuse to reject those who will end up rejecting him. He will not repay evil for evil. He is determined to care for, heal, and protect those who are likely to cause him harm. Even in suffering, we will learn how Jesus actively chooses the risk and vulnerability of love, extending enormous compassion and courage to those around him, even when he is pressed and crushed on from every single side. There is an evil shadow that's extending itself all over the world. And I would be naive if I did not think 
that there weren't people hell-bent on causing harm to you, your family, and those you love. They are out there, and perhaps they are growing in numbers too big to fathom. But the question I'm putting before you is how will you respond to that? Will you hide away, shake your fist, try to repay back with equal strength those who seem to assault you? Or will you trust that there is a different and better way, a vulnerable way, a way that has risk, a way that has a downside? But it means you will, with judgment, walk across the street or drive across town or walk down the hallway at school or talk to that person that no one else wants to spend any time with and recognize that you will not be ruled by stereotypes on prejudging who they are. Because it might be the person who looks most like you may have dark thoughts that you wish were never there. And that person who's most unlike you might be a person that you have a connection with and an identity with and a love for that you never would have experienced because you were locked into this understanding that they were off limits to you. How do you want to live? With trust, compassion, kindness. You may be thought of being weak. So did Jesus have that assailed against him? And if you are willing to trust, then you will find the humanity that is common within you and with your neighbor, and you will experience hope. Hope for today. And hope for the world. We close the service today with, again, this wonderful blessing from those claiming the Emerald Island as their home. Raleigh's going to clue us in on this. Let's stand and sing this as a prayer for us today. You guys don't need a fancy organ all the time. That was lovely. We pray Mark will feel better soon and uh, be back to full strength uh, quickly. Um, also, because of Charles's sickness, there will not be youth meeting tonight. And so that uh, opportunity has been canceled, but will be rescheduled uh, later on. Take the insert home with you. Find out what's going on in the life of our church. Uh, Jody, what's for lunch today? 
Baked spaghetti. You guys made it. Way to, way to go. And now you've endured to the end, and there's a reward at the end of the day. So that's good. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy your birthday. Happy birthday. You know, some people are just a little bit egotistical. They kind of want everyone to know it's their birthday, so they'll bring 25 guests with them. <laughs> Blessings on you. Uh, this uh, benediction will also serve as our postlude. May you bow as you receive it and go joyfully from this place. May we find the road that leads to life. May we take the turns that brings about right relationships. May we pause to accompany others on the way. May we journey with God and long for the horizon and the dawn. In the name of God's love through Father.